Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Welcome to another episode of TNT, season two, only just. In fact, it's episode 101. Soon we'll be going into season three, folks. Stay tuned for that. Um, but let's get back to the present moment. Today's guest is, I didn't ask this before we hit record, but I'm just going to go with Duena Blomstrom. With a background in psychology as well as technology, Duena is on a crusade to see lasting change in our VUCA world. Uh, to help companies avail themselves of agile and new ways of work while eradicating their human debt. An international keynote speaker, influencer, blogger, author of Emotional Banking and People Before Tech, The Importance of Psychological Safety and Teamwork in the Digital Age, Duena is also co-founder and CEO of People Not Tech, a company designing a revolutionary team performance enhancing work tool, the world's first solution to check and increase psychological safety for the whole team. Uh, we often talk about passions and obsessions. We often like to understand a little bit more about your own life experiences, how these things become such a prevalent factor in the work that you do, the purpose that you found. Um, so maybe we could start off there, Duena, a bit of your sort of backstory and why the work that you're doing now, in particular around psychological safety and in the digital uh, space, perhaps specifically um, where we're at today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, first and foremost. Um, and then let's see, where do we start? I often call it an obsession. I think fashion is too soft of a word for um, <laughs> what we're doing here. I, I sometimes call it a fetish. Um, people think that's strange, which it is. But um, I have an agile fetish, that's a fetish. Um, but I do have an obsession with how to make agile work, which is by focusing on people. And um, my kind of answer to that is by focusing on, on one of the key dynamics in teams, which is whether or not they have psychological safety, which is a complex topic. But the obsession is that if we want to see teams that are happy and high performing, we have to make sure that they have psychological safety. Um, and that would eradicate something you mentioned earlier, which is this term I kind of coined um, a while ago called human debt, um, which essentially in short, uh, which is a very empirical definition, obviously, but it's a collection of all the things we have left on the table or not done right, or we still owe our people. Um, you know, those HR initiatives, those those ideas that never happened, so all the times we thought something was too fluffy, um, all of those moments amass into this human debt, I think. And until organizations get smarter at getting rid of some of it, uh, we're not gonna get far with having um, high-performing teams. You know, I was once in a meeting that had a compilation of all of the qualitative feedback from an engagement survey. So we had the numbers already, but this was the qualitative part where the people took the time to type in what would bring my engagement score up, which means my performance is going to go up, right? My loyalty is going to go up. All these things you want from me are going to go up. And they were compiled into a notebook and sort of stacked as in one through 50. And one was the one that was highest priority, most asked for. And 50 was least priority, least asked for. 
And when this was presented, the decision was made based on how much is this going to cost us instead of what is what are people asking for? And this, I don't even want to call it a challenge, but it seems like it's a challenge. Money or people, money or people, money or people, money or people comes up over and over and over again. Why do you think we get stuck in that in the business world? Very complex question because it touches on this bit of human debt in organizations, I think. Um, a lot of it, you know, there's, 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 first of all, there's a standard answer to that, which is, you know, realistically, uh, it costs money to run a business. And unfortunately, those priorities, we know that answer. But I think there are deeper issues there. And those issues, uh, ironically, come down to, to the same point, which are some people in that organization are, or many people, or the people that are decision makers are, um, in, in a position where they, they need to impression manage, which is a term that's essentially the dark side of having a, a well-secured, happy, psychologically safe team. The, the opposite of that is a team that impression manages a lot. Impression management, quick definition for your listeners, is when we are afraid of speaking up for fear of appearing either incompetent or negative or intrusive or disruptive, or anytime we're afraid to say something because it will damage our status with other people is when we are impression managing. And when we are, we have very low psychological safety and so on. So ironically, I think that's a result of that. Many times in organizations will be in a meeting where we all know the emperor is naked and we all should kind of, one of us should step out and say so because it's very obvious there's no clothes inside. But we're all impression managing and fearing either our status or our professional situation or essentially our jobs. And we don't take that time to say, this is ridiculous. We can't put a price on what makes those people more, more engaged in their work. With all that said, I will say I have a pet peeve towards the term engagement as it is. And mm -hmm. I think this to be horrible. And it's a controversial point of view. And I know people don't necessarily agree with it, but I feel like when we, um, when we say engagement these days in the way that it is seen by most enterprises, not woke HR, as I call it, will we'll get my point. But the way we've been defining engagement in the last 10 years has, in my opinion, been really problematic. And it's part of the human debt because it has, because of all those moments, like the one you're, you're, uh, you're describing, accumulating into human debt, we've ended up with this definition of engagement, which is essentially many times equating to an NPS score only, which is the furthest away from the actual definition of the word. So engagement is when we are completely involved emotionally with each other, with the workplace, with whatever, without circumstances, right? So, so essentially engagement in its purest definition is emotional connection. Engagement in its definition in corporate world today is whether or not people will recommend this place of work, which is a ridiculous departure, and it hurts us in understanding what people do or do not want. Um, so, you know, it's a vicious circle. The, the less engagement we have, the more impression management, the, the worse the definition is, the more um, human debt, if you wish. So. It is a vicious circle. It's all, it's, it's all mangled into this ball of problems that we have in organizations these days. Amen. Yeah, when you asked that question, Teresa, the thing that came up to me was there's this hopefully old predilection that, you know, people 
only stop at the cost. They only look at the cost and they don't look at the other side of it and go look at the value. And I think that until there's been a more of a widespread acceptance and understanding and, and um, <clears throat> interest in personal values, are we able to extend that into more of an organization value to the company, to the management, but also to the team? So um, psychological safety is something that I've been interested in for a while. I've written an article about it. I've followed Amy Edmondson for a while, um, You know, read her books. I'm wondering, what is it about that particular topic? Is there a personal reason why it's it's your personal crusade or is there something more than that, a bigger um, <clears throat> bigger picture here that you're looking to do? Why, why psychological safety? I wish I could have a better story than that, but we arrived at this uh, by trial and error. So when, when we started People Not Tech, our only to do was to find something that is transformational enough and makes teams good enough, fast enough, to kind of cure some of this human debt. That was our to-do. And what, the only thing we knew was that we cannot start the consultancy because the world has way too many consultancies, number one and number two, because we had all been in that coaching situation where you have those magical moments with a team and they last for that moment. And then everyone goes home and it feels like it never happened. So we knew we wanted to make software because software is at least the type of artifact that stays with humans and they can kind of work from it themselves. Um, and it's empowering. So that's all we knew, that we wanted to make software and we wanted to make a change at the team level fast enough. That's all we knew. And so we did a number of things that were wrong, um, some of which I won't go into details because there may be more specialized, but the number one thing we did was we attempted to make, um, we started from what makes success teams is the culture of the team and the fit of the team. So how do we put the best people together um, so that you get a perfect team. That was our, our thing. And we spent a good, I don't even want to think of the cost because it makes me wonder where my, you know, kind of uh, Riviera Villa is. But we spent a lot of time, let's put it that way, uh, building something to make this perfect team, um, which was going to take all kinds of data into account from the HR head, and it was going to take into account what people told them. Then AI was going to spit out perfect teams, effectively producing a teaming tool, if you wish, right? You know, we were very happy with it. Um, and it took us a good, as I said, long time. And they really realized it's completely worthless. And it makes no difference what people you put together and how you put them together. And in fact, the entirety of the recruitment industry should have woken up to this ages ago. Because when we realized it felt horrible because we had put all this work, but we equally, we went back to the drawing board and we went like, it just doesn't matter how we put people together. It matters once they're together, how do we make that dynamic work for them and how do we make them care about each other how do they get more empathy how do they mm -hmm. become a more, more functional team and when we looked for research as to okay in existing teams then how do we make sure that they're high performing and happy and that's how we arrived at the aristotle um the aristotle result from from google and the number one thing over there, it's glaringly clear, is that if you want high-performing teams, you have to have psychological safety. And if, if I'm honest, it's almost the first time that I ever arrived at it, just because I had been with my nose in technology for 20 years before, and I hadn't seen it before. Um, so I, I found it from Google, if I'm honest, from their research. They, they stumbled on it accidentally when they were asking the same question, which is how do we make perfect teams? You don't make perfect teams. You get the teams you have, you make them into happier teams, and then you have to have psychological safety. And then they also list structure and clarity, which is something we couldn't affect with our software. No one can, it's an organizational thing. Dependability, which is I think something they can solve by just doing agile properly. 
um, then they have to have impact and they have to have purpose and those things equally are at an individual level and it cannot really be helped by us. So we focused on the one thing that made the biggest change, which was psychological safety. And that's how we arrived at the body of research that Professor Dr. Amy Edmondson has, has kindly given the world. Um, we all know, I mean, she, she's not necessarily the person that arrived at the concept, but she's the one that has spent her entire existence working on it. And that's an important thing to say. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the things that she has given us have enabled Google to throw that back into the business world. And if it hadn't been for that moment, the, the business world would have still been oblivious to it because academia has been talking about it for what, 20 years, 30 years? No one picked it up until Google really arrived at Project Photo. And when we came to it, if I'm honest, and I'll wrap up the story real quick, I thought there would be tons of bits of software that would be doing this and focusing on this because it's the biggest thing that makes Google money. And Google makes loads of money. I thought, like, stands to reason, right? There would be loads. Um, so we, we scoured the market for, for all of them to put them together in a platform was our first idea. And when we looked, there was nothing. There was Amy's questionnaire, which is, as we know, obviously it's academic research, it's very dry. I couldn't even make my developers <laughs> look at it. They were like, uh, no, what is it? Um, and then there was some, some bits from Spotify, but nothing that existed. And I was like, how do, how do people live without this? Is why, why we arrived at Psychological Safety. And once, once you comprehend how important it is, and for your listeners that don't know the definition, because we don't need to be that elitist, um, Psychological safety is the ability of team members to interact with each other in, in, in an authentic and free way and to speak up at all times and never be concerned about the risk to their image around each other. So, and that's when they make magic. And so we, when we arrived at it, like anyone else, we were like, this, this is the thing. This is the thing we need to fight for. And that's how it, it happens. Which makes the billion dollar book, the book that tells us how to make it happen. So... <laughs> So essentially, psychological safety is a term, it has a definition, and then we go about, okay, how do I get it? What do I have to do for myself and for other people around me to actually create this environment that exists? And I think where I, I would love for you to start is, let's just start with the individual. What do I have to do for myself? Because if I show up in the way that I need to show up to contribute to a psychologically safe environment, and we all do that, then ta-da, <laughs> it creates itself. So what do I need as an individual? And what might I, what, I guess the second part of the question is what do I need as an individual? And what might, what might we notice within ourselves that is missing to know, mm, I'm gonna be part of the problem if I don't close this gap? Good question. And uh, let me take a step back and say, if you think of the, the totality of people in an organization as, as, as three different lenses, one lens being the organization, one lens being the team, and one lens being the individual, I would say, that, and this is another controversial bit, it's probably in the book as well, it really gets on my nerves when people talk about the organization because it's just as real of a concept as a unicorn. There's no such thing as, we all know that, right? It's an aesthetical, theoretical thing. So if we like to just talk about things, then we should talk about the organization. If we want to do anything of any value, we need to talk about the individual or the team. And the way I look at it, I, I don't 110% subscribe to what you said, and I'll tell you why. I don't think that psychological safe teams are teams where all individuals are psychologically safe themselves, because I do think there's an, a serious element of the dynamic. With that said, there's 
um, an absolute need for each individual to have done some preparation work. So I'm a big believer in the fact that there's teamwork to be done and then there's individual work to be done. Um, and, and they kind of complement each other and they're necessary from the kind of the feed of each other, right? The more psychological safety of the team you have, the more likely it is individuals are gonna be strong and, and, and purposeful enough and, and passionate enough and you know, invested enough to be, to be doing the work. Um, equally, other way around, you have a collection of incredibly strong individuals, you won't have psychological safety. With that said, neither of them works in isolation. And we, we've seen this a lot with the teams we work with, and because of COVID, we work with hundreds of teams now. Um, and the collection of, of well-rounded, um, taking care of themselves, kind of self-care conscious and, and well-branded grown-up professionals is needed in itself will not make a psychologically safe team simply because the dynamic between them might not actually be conducive to that and they would not work towards it together. That can happen. They would remain more towards, if you wish, there's a continuum between a work group and the team, and they would be more towards one end sometimes of the work group rather than the team. And I think it takes that collective will of putting those well-rounded individuals together in a situation where they can create psychological safety before it becomes a team and one that's psychologically safe. That said, back to your question, it's incredibly important. I always feel almost guilty because where we work, what we do, is we make the team function better together. We, we give them the tools, we give them the way to do it. They literally don't ever need to call each other. They can do it on their own, just get better, right? At this. Um, so we empower the team. That said, I always feel half guilty because there's loads of work that needs to be done on the individual side of things. And you know, we keep saying this and we keep trying to, to push this through team exercises, but it's a, it's a tough sell. But if you ask me what, the, what people I would like in my team, there are people who are very well aware of where their heart is and very well respecting of their own self, which is a tough thing to do, in particular if you're a junior professional or you know, in, in some mm -hmm. other industries. Um, and so those, those things would and obviously very smart and very passionate and all the other stuff, but those things I think would put them in a position where they would be um, a lot more intentional about self-care and a lot more serious about positive psychology, which is a, a thing which should be mandatory. I, would, I, I will literally, and I, I'll be honest, at the risk of my HR uh, firing me, um, we don't have one, I would not hire anyone who would roll their eyes at any wellness kind of suggestion. So I, I dip things into conversations and interviews where kind of I'd ask what their sleeping habits are, or I'd say, well, what do you do for fitness? Or even like, what do you, do you do any breathing? Do you do any meditation? The second they roll their eyes, they're out. Because I just, I mean, you're just disagreeing with science if you don't think you should be doing those things for yourself. And you clearly don't like yourself as a profession enough to be doing them. So we, we can't do this. I, I don't know. <laughs> we, can't, we can't be working together because they're a necessary part. So I think individuals have to work a lot harder on making themselves happy or making themselves stable or getting the care they need. Um, and then once they do that, or at the same time that they do that, they also need to work on the team dynamic, which is happening together as a unit. It's such an interesting point because it's such a controversial sort of hot topic. And for me, just play devil's advocate for a minute, the idea that someone requires psychological safety is implying that that individual is somehow deficient in some way, is lacking something. But as you just eloquently put there, 
they don't need to be a super uh, super psychologically safety guy or really like scared diminished person they just need to have that balance they need to have that self uh, self worth they need to have that self compassion and they need to you know let go of some of those things we talk about and cut the judgment the shame the guilt all these kind of things and if you can kind of come through the door without that baggage then for me that idea of needing this psychological safety to help me fit in and it's not something that is um <clears throat> mandatory but to go back to my question um when you, you said to human debt and it made me think about the generational aspects of the workplace and um it made me think that you know the, the older people in in the working environment have had to live through you know not psychologically safety stuff they've had to do all these kind of things and so they have that debt owed to them and they require some of this more training to open up but i'm wondering as the, the newer generations come through, the more um, uh, open and aware and awake kind of um, people, do you still perceive the need for psychological, say 20 years time, you feel like the people who are just starting now uh, compared to people who started 40 years ago will be less uh, dependent on this or less or more equipped to operate without this? Well, okay. First off, to backtrack, back to definition. So psychological safety is a team dynamic where the people, the components of that team are able to be free with each other, right? And I, you know, you're right. Some, some of this is generational and some of this is even slightly um, cultural, if you wish, because, you know, they, they might come from very oppressive governments. They might they might have lived their lives through really difficult situations. Yes, all of, all of that is slightly ingrained in our professional being. With all of that said, what we find is that the, the team dynamic that needs to happen is almost having the same components irrespective of age, geography, you name it. And the, the, because if you boil down what psychological safety is into good behaviors that you want to see, that people are courageous, that people learn together, that people are flexible, that people speak up that people um, are resilient and that they have this emotional bond slash engagement. If you uh, split it into those components and those good behaviors, then those are so universally true for all humans, irrespective of where they're from and how old, that if you manage to bring it back to basics and you have those things in place, then you need them now, you needed them 20 years ago and you need them in 50 as well. So I don't expect the need for figuring out psychological safety to change because what it is really, and okay, I'll be, I'll be even more honest. There's a lot of confusion in the industry towards the term, right? There's lots of people that latch onto it and they like to think it's about job security. It's not. That it's about just kind of being psychologically men and mentally fit. It's not. No, neither of these things are completely away from the topic. Obviously, they're needed and they're true, but they're not the definition. The definition is, is this group of people gelling and kind of invested in each other enough that they are bringing their best self? They can be inventive, they can collaborate, they can be their best professional self. And if anything, the undertone of that is not whether or not they have psychological safety, it's um, how far removed they are from the idea that it is okay and desirable for them to think and work on their emotions and their well being at work. That's the crux of the issue. That's, that's what makes the most of human death. It's the fact that we have disallowed people from thinking of themselves as a human with emotions at work. If we had done better in that, then we would have looked at kind of less at money and more at their, their feelings, like we were saying before, 
we would have focused on not letting them feel unsafe and, and be able to speak up, all of those things would have followed from it. We're back in a place now, I think, where we're finally reversing that trend and we're talking about, no, you can be a human, you can have emotions. You can even take your kids to school if you have to, which seems to be what's happening these days if we're lucky. But so this place is amazing. And I don't think it's anything to do with necessarily younger generations, older generations. We see people across all industries, all geographies and all age groups react to it the same way. Once you boil it down to the basic components of the behaviors you want to have to have happy people. Okay, so I'm on a team and let's say I'm the leader of that team. And one of my employees comes to me and they're like, blah, 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 blah. They're doing that sort of complaining, venomous conversation about another teammate. And I check in with, have you talked to the teammate? And they're like, no, why would I ever tell her this kind of stuff, him this kind of stuff? Why would I ever go and talk to them? So this revolutionary team performance enhancing work tool that you've created, how would I use your tool? What would you recommend that leader or that employee to be doing to get psychological safety in this situation to go up? I like very express examples. We see them all the time in, in various, you know, clothing, if you wish, but we see the same ones all the time, which is, and there are a few things in common. And the, the big things are, what do we do if there's conflict between people in our team, which is the, the one you are expressing. The other one is what do we're perfectly psychologically safe in our team. It's management we're not psychologically safe with, which is an indescribably strange one. Um, and then there's there's things such as, um, you know, we've had this the way we go. We don't, we're not going to go any deeper into our how we feel and we're not going to discuss it. So all of those do happen every day. And the most interesting one, I think, is um, that every time we engage with a team, we get this moment, if you wish, that's, I, I call it coaching. It's not even coaching. It's just, they just want to complain for the, the, the vast majority of the time you spend with them at first, which is something common in coaching, but it's strange to us because we're just selling software. Why are you even telling me? But <laughs> you, you see my point. So back to the first situation, which is, these are the most common things that we see every day with all the teams. But the, the one you're describing is particularly interesting because we have a, I mentioned this earlier to you, but I will give a very short um, kind of rundown of it. We, we, we took another wrong turn, which is we made the product for team leaders and not for the team for a long while. And in that product, in that wrong term, uh, term before we changed it to be for the entire team, um, in, that, in that particular incarnation of it, we had an, a feature called uh, a one-on-one -on -one tracker, which was essentially allowing team leaders to keep a mental track, you know, if you have five kids, you have to kind of spend time between them in, in, in an equal way. That's kind of what it was allowing people to remember when they talked to their employees last, when they had these heart to heart. In the case you're describing, this particular team leader sounds like they did have it. It doesn't mean that it didn't shelter them from the fact that there's conflict elsewhere that's not a, a team, not in an open team. The team you're describing doesn't have, I would, I would put money on the fact that they have very low psychological safety in general. Otherwise, this some type of conversation would have happened. Some of this conflict would have been happening at the, at the team level and not an, on, a, on a complain and, and bitch about level, right? So what we recommend for that, um, and the way we recommend things is by crowdsourcing solutions from other teams that did well in that particular situation, so we just offer plays like here's what you do. Don't have to call each other or anything. I don't care if you're a scientist. These are the things you do, and you'll 
all of a sudden be able to have a better channel of conversation. Um, and so what we recommend for things like that is something, for instance, that's very popular in the software world uh, these days with developers called the Beach Fest, which is essentially a very structured way to take away from the pain of the first couching thing I was explaining and the second thing, which is the one-on-one, -on -one, which are essentially having in common the same thing, which is people have loads on their souls and they haven't had the time to, to, to talk about it and they're afraid to bring it out into the open. And all of those amass into this kind of complaining and, and, and toxic atmosphere. And to take off from it, this particular play called the Bitch Fest allows you to very structuredly go, right, you have five minutes to fill in these mural board post-its about the thing that gets my goat most is, or uh, if I were CEO for a day, what I would do is, or really the one person I can't stand is, and they're anonymous enough, you can go at it, right? And people love them. And what they notice at the end of it is that because it was structured and they went through these bits and pieces, they achieved the same thing that they would do through a year of just bitching and gossiping in the corners. They feel a lot better, it's been cathartic, and they can then open up a conversation that's together. Um, so there's no, you know, there's no perfect receipt for it, but what you want to do, and you can do it in other ways in our play as well, is just understand where it's coming from, try to bring that back to the team because no separation and clicks will ever work in having healthy team dynamics yeah. um, and just hope for the best. Really interesting hearing you uh, describe some of the things that um, psychological safety will give you or, or gain for the team, some of the things you're looking to improve, the empathy, the resilience, all these kind of things. And it made me think that pretty much that's all of your emotional intelligence wheel, that you're kicking up all these things. I mean, like, so which comes first, the psychological safety or the emotional intelligence, uh, that kind of thing. That's a, maybe a question for both of you. But um, I was interested also in the title of your, the subtitle of your book, you're talking about in the digital age, that's the last two words. And I'm wondering, how that digital age has <clears throat> exploded in this new, what we're doing now, virtual, working from home, that kind of thing, how that has impacted the work you were doing. And you said that things have grown exponentially during the, during the pandemic, um, <clears throat> assuming that you, you know, you've had to incorporate that working from home thing as well into some, a new way. How does that, um, how does that change the traditional dynamic of a just in the workplace, everyone together? Great question because it, it it encompasses all of the issues we're looking at today. And on the one hand, we all know listening. If we're listening to this or talking about this, we all know um, yeah. that COVID has made a humongous impact in talking about human topics in general. Um, and it's now making an, an an almost accidental impact in actually bringing that to practicality. Um, and it's it's in a, in a kicking and screaming. Every organization has to be talking about things that would otherwise be a Friday topic over pizza, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, pluses and minuses to that, right? The, the biggest pluses are, of course, we have to start this conversation. The minuses are, if we don't keep this conversation present enough and pregnant enough and big enough, um, we and, and we miss this moment, I'm very fearful that we're going to slowly slip into what we thought was our former set point and end up still chained to our desk um, having forgotten about the great resignation hashtag and the talking about humans bit and just kind of carrying on with life. So there's, I, I find there's a great tendency to go back to set point. I also find that there's great moment and, and um, you know, kind of 
there's enough momentum behind the idea that we are not robots, we are humans, we deserve better, we deserve to be seen as someone who has a life. And if you want us to bring our best selves to the scene, we need to kind of, one, work from whatever fits us best, two, be acknowledged as a human being with feelings, and therefore we all have to increase our emotional intelligence fast, and three, once we're in the scene, what new world are we looking at? What are our new conventions? How do we work together? What do we, how do we listen to each other as we should? What can we do so that we have better teams and so on? So I think that all those conversations are on the table, which is great. Do I think that's going to change forever the way we work? It has changed forever the way we work simply by the physicality of it having been in question. Hopefully it stays out of the table, off the table. Um, that said, is this, this is a good moment for every organization, I hate talking about organizations, but it is, every company to kind of reach deep, look at things that were otherwise not being discussed, ask the big questions around the why, the where, the why all are we doing this? And then have a come to Jesus or whatever they wanna go moment and say, right, now it's the time to do right by our people, not because it's common sense or nice, but because it quite frankly makes us more money and we should have done this kind of thing earlier. What all do they need? They need you know, enough respect to take care of themselves. They need to work the way they choose. They need to have teams that have the ability of, if you wish, increasing their emotional intelligence and, and looking at various behaviors and getting better of those behaviors. I mean, we need to give them these things, no less because we don't have them in this room and they're at their house. So if they're not gonna be doing these things, then we're not gonna be having a team whatsoever. And now, realistically, team, um, companies that are not serious about this, and they are the majority, are in serious danger. It's one thing to ask them to go back to the office, which would not just not stand. This is a, 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 if you wish, I think it's a ridiculous wrong. It's not even a wrong term. It's just deluded. If they think they can get anyone back in the office properly, it's just not happening. Not anyone of any value, that's for sure. Everyone who needs to get away who is very junior, who is like in, in bad positions will go, but anyone else who has a choice won't. So if you're willing to kind of lose people, then you're gonna continue with that. But I think they won't, right? This will be just a trial for a year or so. We're gonna keep talking about, ah, we might bring you all back in and then they'll wake up and go like, ah, it's not gonna work. Um, if nothing else, we're destroying all our talent management in the last 20 years, let's calm down. That's gonna be resolved. That said, they're wasting time on this conversation instead of going, right, what all do we need for communication? What all do we need for team health? What do we need for individual health? How do we make that happen in, in a virtual and semi-remote, hybrid, work from anywhere environment? Um, and that time is not coming back because many people are moving, they're finding their own grooves. There are things that are now becoming their de facto ways of working. Um, and it can go either way. Good teams, teams that gel, that have psychological safety, will find that like they, they never needed the permission to kind of have these team kickoffs and go like, right, what do we do? How do we work? Um, but teams that have waited, people who have been insecure, they're in a horrible position right now and they'll end up with their own personal way of work. They won't match with the other guys. And you'll see a lot of like massive productivity dips on top of the great resignation. And so that's just gonna, you know, end up in the bottom line of some company or other. It's a scary time. If I were a CEO of anywhere, I would not be the JP Morgan guy. I think someone's gonna send me a fat head of some some something or other. Because horse. I'm it's usually a horse. I bet. I'm fine. Any any kind of animal head, I know I, I should stop 
mentioning them, but I mean, the amount of time that they've done the wrong thing, including people in Silicon Valley is just shocking. And it just shows ironically that they had it better and they can't really tell what the gap is between their lives and the lives of the rest of them, their people. So anyways, don't get me even started. I think great things happen thanks to COVID. The conversation is wide open. It's up to all of us to not let it kind of die down and get our things in order while we can. Yeah, yeah. yeah here, here. I realized mm -hmm. this last question, which is gonna ask you for your golden nugget, might take a moment for you to consider because what we love to have our guest offer is one thing that in this broad topic of psychological safety, emotional safety, the human, in this really broad, complex topic, what would be one thing that you would gift to our audience that could help them start to think differently or do differently so they can intrinsically be differently? Just the one. That's why. Well, how about this? This could work. There are things that can be done that are a change in behavior, which you can do as an individual, and then you can bring them back to the team. Not many, but there are a few of them. And thankfully, some of those are transformative. Um, and this one that I'm mentioning now absolutely does work and that can work for you as an individual and then bring it back to the team um, if it does. So, and it can be done with kind of no training, no software, no nothing. Although obviously, ideally, if you want to do it right, you should kind of read more about it um, or get something to help you. But um, the idea of impression management that we've, we've, we've touched on earlier is key to eliminating some of the bad behaviors. And thankfully, um, understanding impression management, reading about it, even just reading the definition and then trying to relate to a time or two when it's happened to you over the last month, and I guarantee there have been tens, if not hundreds of times. So once you comprehend impression management as a human being, you're then able to recognize it in yourself and you can have what we call an internal impression management counter. If you can imagine like a, one of those counters that they have on the airplanes to tell you how many passengers have gotten in, if you can have one of those in your head for every time that you think you did it or someone else in your, um, your team did it, when you wanted to say something, but you stopped yourself and you make a mental click, well, why was that? What was I doing? Ugh, I probably just didn't want to sound like a dumbass. What if they know more than me? That was an impression management moment. If you click it in your mental counter, you start then recognizing it in others. Oh, now they didn't say anything because they didn't want to interrupt or whatever. Click that too. The more clicks of that you have, and the more you kind of tell your colleagues about a clicker like that, the more likely it is you're going to start decreasing your psychological safety real quick. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you always speak up, but it does mean that being conscious of a behavior, just like you would be of triggers that make you smoke or triggers that make you afraid of spiders, exact same principle. Once you recognize the behavior and you start diminishing that, it will spread in the team and you'll ideally all have a more psychologically safe team. So just learn about impression management, have a mental clicker. Mm, love that. Thank you. That's a great golden nugget. So people are going to want to be in touch with you, Joanna. How can they be in touch with you? What's the best way? Um, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. Um, I'd write there twice 
three times a week with two different newsletters, one about psychological safety, one about agile. And I just, I accept everyone's request and I'm very chatty on LinkedIn. Um, and then there's, there's, we have a website that's www.peoplenotsex.com. Um, and a bit about the solution in it, just drop us a line anywhere. We're very communicative anyhow. Hmm. Fantastic. Do you have something that's coming up on the horizon that people might want to check out? Aside from your book, People Before Tech. <laughs> right, the book. Uh, keep forgetting about the book. Sorry, I have a date on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to change the world. I don't think books, unfortunately, much as we love them, can do that. Um, and it's not that kind of a book. Um, but so the book in itself is trying to make like a, a bridge between the agile community and the, and the human community, if you wish. So both of these communities are going to think um, it's a bit kind of popular science from their perspective, which I, I get and I take that into consideration, but just it needs reading for, for, for that bridge to have being built because the technical community and the HR community need to find a way to fix this human debt together. Yeah. So there's a book that you mentioned, yes, called uh, People Before Tech. And outside of that, the coming up is just the fact that it's finally getting to a point where people are, have embraced the software and they're now having like implementations at large. So we're seeing teams start to be empowered every day, which means that we make new features by the week. Um, so it's hard to pick one thing that's most exciting, but I guess in between like we have a work from home score that we're very proud of. We have an Aristotle score we're proud of. All of those things are like exciting for us, but they mean mm -hmm. nothing in the grand scheme of things. The grand scheme of things is start focusing on people's psychological safety in general and you'll get there. Yeah, and check out all the stuff that's available. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your Genesis story the journey you've been on, all of your thoughts and ideas and what you've learned within your obsession, which I, that is an appropriate word. I think that's great. When, when you're on the crusade, I mean, in your introduction, the crusade word, I think is the one that pops out the most to really speak to when you land in your, both a combination of like your spiral of genius where you know you're meant to be because it just lights your whole brain on fire. So I really appreciate you bringing that to us today. And Thank before you go, nope. <laughs> I always, I, I've said a few times, is usually because when I'm doing the rapid fire Q&A, like we need some sort of theme song music that comes in at this point for the rapid fire Q&A. Oh, uh, yeah, cue, cue the game show music. Are you ready? Five questions. Don't never ask me if I'm ready. Is that question one? Because I'm never ready now. That is question one, isn't it? You, you answered it correctly. Okay. Um, one, which emotion catches you off guard most often? How fast do I have to be? <laughs> oh, gosh. I wish any of them catches me completely off guard, but I'm non-neurotypical, so I, I would have probably planned for my most emotions in advance <laughs> so none of them really um i expect them to happen and I'm, I'm kind of prepared with a plan for when they do um but the ones i find most difficult i think to to deal with um are um when i'm i'm really happy because you sometimes don't quite feel like you deserve it and it takes a minute to get used to it so i think that's unfortunately the one that um shocked me the most so this is question two. What do you do to help regulate and manage that emotion in the moment? 
also not fair of a question. Um, the array of, of uh, CBT tools that I employ on a daily basis would scare anyone. <laughs> but um, well, I, I would say this because it's important and I think people can take from it if they wanted to, which is I wake up an hour earlier than most other humans because I need that hour to do a bunch of things. Um, and those bunch of things all keep me in check so that I can actually deal with the rest of my day. And those things range from, you know, meditation to breathing to, you know, visualizing to you name it. And everyone needs different tools, but giving yourself that time to have those tools um, is like my number one mandatory thing. And I insist on everyone trying that. I love that you set your regulator at the moment. So that throughout the day, nothing or very few things disrupt you. Mm. Awesome. Hopefully. Question three. Your best friend is having a meltdown. What do you do? They do do that uh, often, don't they? Um, <laughs> well, first um, and foremost, I try to remember I'm a friend and not a psychotherapist anymore. Um, and so leave all my tools and, and scientific knowledge at the door and relate. Um, and just tell them the things that I would have wanted someone to tell me when I have my meltdowns, I think um, is the things I do, which is put myself in their shoes and go like, what I would have wanted to hear from, from me if I had the calm would have been these things. And they typically do involve some form of, you should have woken up an hour earlier in the last month. <laughs> <laughs> you have less of that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, two more to go. You're doing awesome. What's next in your personal evolution? Oh gosh, I have an internal sprint that I've just kicked off. Funny you should ask. Um, to be fair, I have many of these. I have them either turn of the year or turn of the school year. It's a beginning of a new epic. Um, and in, in, in this particular epic, I've included all kinds of things that I didn't even know I had to work on um, mm -hmm. that I have found either during the pandemic or my life has changed uh, dramatically over the last uh, year or so. So a lot of the things I've learned, I want to work on and do better on. So that in the literary tickets in my, my the storylines in my epic for my um trailer board of my self-betterment sprint, which I, I agree, that is a bit excessive. No one needs to do that. Um, but with that said, I'm working, um, I'm working on being less reactive. I'm working on, on understanding when, where some emotions come from and, and understanding why that they've, they've come about. So a, a bunch of kind of necessary CBT work that I have been slacking on um, is on my sprint, but I'll emerge out of this more superhuman. <laughs> love that. I, I love that. Your own personal spirit. That's fantastic. And then finally, in this moment, what are you most hopeful for or grateful for? I have a gratitude moment every morning. And I am genuinely, it sounds like meta, but I am grateful that I can keep it. Um, it's, it's a, it, I, it sounds ridiculous, but I am genuinely grateful that I don't find doing gratitude ridiculous, as it seems to be the problem for other people because it's, I, I don't know how much more research they would need to understand it rewires your brain. Um, but it's, it's literally the one thing I would say on an individual uh, level makes a difference to whether or not you're happy is whether or not you're able to start looking for those minute things that help you reframe that out of something that's normal or even bad, you can end up with something that you're grateful for. And that alone will keep you um, in the business. Mm, amen to that. Thank you again. Yes, yeah, so much for, mm -hmm. for joining us today and knocking out of the park for episode 101.
thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been a lovely, lovely time talking to you because you guys have clearly not only your hearts in the right place, but you know what you're on about. So lovely. <laughs> Good actors. Um, thank you very much for sharing your energy and your spirit and and and, and really like exemplifying what Teresa said. Like, you know, she said, I love this book, that she's punchy, she's a charismatic, she's you know, she's opinionated, but in a good way. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I can see all that, I can feel all that. Perfect. So I hope our listeners enjoyed that as well. And uh definitely check out the book. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.